listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. But now, it's time for this week's interview. Here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Kate Turner is a UK-based author who writes as K.S. Turner. Her debut novel, Before the Gods, was the first from the epic fantasy trilogy, The Chronicles of Fate and Choice. Book two, Tumultus, is also available, with the final story, Time, currently in progress. Kate originally trained as a designer and illustrator, and when she isn't writing, likes to draw, paint, sculpt, study maths, theology and philosophy and play music, among many other activities. Kate is doing some really interesting things in self-publishing, which is why I was really keen to invite her onto the show this week. Welcome to the programme, Kate. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. What a list of things I know, I Uh, know. When you were reading them off, I was thinking, gosh, that sounds like quite a lot. (laughs) But, well, the maths was the one that got me. Well, you see, maths? I would say maths is actually quite an art form in itself. But that's it a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> algebra, certainly. Well, I, I was looking at that list thinking, well, you're obviously, you're quite obviously a thoughtful and creative person from that list. And then maths cropped up. And then, of course, it brings all these horrible memories of secondary school and algebra but you're thinking of it slightly differently by the sounds Definitely. of it. Definitely. If you've, if you've ever spoken to somebody who's studied maths quite, to quite a degree, they would throw their hands up with excitement if I said maths is actually very creative. Because it is. It takes your... Once you stop trying to really think and concentrate and work something out and you just let go of that process, then actually it becomes a lot easier. Mm. Well, we'll talk about that list a little bit later, because uh, the reason you're on is because you've got all sorts of great self-publishing stories to tell us. Now, sort of going back to that list, you seem to me to be primarily a a visual person, yet you ended up writing. How did that transition occur? Well, I am definitely a visual person, yeah. When I write, I actually do see the storyline in my head, in the imagination. It plays out as if it's a film. And then I use the writing to actually translate that. And it doesn't always want to play ball, my imagination. Sometimes it just gives me a still image or a series of still images, and then I have to piece the story together. But the bulk of it, as I'm writing, it's like a film is playing out in my head. And I can see this whole world evolving, or I'll hear characters talking to each other. And because I do fantasy and science fiction, it's perfect because I'm not just limited with a piece of art of of a linear time. I can create whole new worlds and give it depth and texture and timelines as well. And your first book was inspired by a dream. You and I have that in common because I I woke up one morning and had to rush and start typing. So um, you find all of your inspiration then from from dreams and imagination well the first time i dreamt of the concept which did end up going into the books i didn't really pay any attention to it actually being a book um i dream a lot i dream every night and i'm lucky enough to have good recall of dreams so it wasn't really very unusual 
but then the dreams kept repeating or sometimes I would see that dream from a different perspective or a different character and then it was a bit of a eureka moment when I was not just observing in the dream one of the characters I was actually within it myself and I tried explaining to people about this amazing world I was seeing and these beings that were like humans and aliens and that the world I was seeing was like earth but but there were so few humans there it was like the very birth of humanity and I tried to draw them um, and I felt that the drawing was too flat so what I did is I, I started doing a few little written pieces to go with the drawings big A0 drawings and those few little written pieces ended up becoming a few paragraphs and then the next thing I know I've got what ended up being four chapters and a friend of mine who is sort of into books quite heavily read them and believed that I had something of a novel there and that was a bit of the start of it. And had you ever written anything sustained before Kate? Nothing, nothing whatsoever. I would say that I was thinly written people say they're widely read I was thinly read <laughs> and thinly written I had not endeavored doing anything writing wise since leaving school but because I'm such a creative person when I started writing I found I could evoke so much more of the creativity within uh, the form of writing but no I hadn't done anything before it had never even entered my mind in fact I would say that uh, I would have considered story writing as being one of my not-so-good skills when I was younger. And I'd always left it alone as much as possible because I didn't think it was one of my strengths. But then when I started, it, it, the bug got me. Yet these books, the first two books, weigh in at uh, 496 pages and 512 pages. That Those aren't leaflets. I know. Those are... <laughs> really substantial books aren't yeah, they they are they're bricks they are bricks <laughs> and the, wow. the latest book you're gonna like this <laughs> go on nearly 600 Ooh. and that has been edited down to six that's a lot of words how many words is that um that is a hundred and seventy-five thousand words oh well done you yeah excluding all the post limbs and prelims which are the bits that go before and after the actual novel so the novel itself yeah that that is a lot of typing that is a phenomenal undertaking just to just to do that now the first time you did it most people would have a little skirmish with writing they might write a novella or something you've gone george rr R. martin straight away <laughs> haven't you with yours i know that is so true that is so true i think I had no intention of how long the book should be other than that it needed to be the right length and in my writing journey um, when I first finished the book and I did actually find an agent and she had publishing companies that were interested and she helped me work on actually finishing the book and making sure it was all edited well and I'd got it all finished all excited and she said oh excellent now remove 40,000 words Ooh. so yeah so I think it would have been even bigger if it wasn't for that but I'm glad I did it now because that ended up making it into a much more streamlined novel 
how, how accurate a first-time writer are you, Kate? Do you need to write, uh, you know, really wide and broadly and then, and then bring it back in and edit those words out? I am very keen on editing, I have to admit. I mean, I, I start off with a synopsis. I have three or four significant things within the novel that have to be there. I, and the characters are, are really key because I find with plot development, the characters and the way they develop will often direct the plot. But then once I've got the basic key points of a novel, I write a three or four page beginning to end, sort of like a summary of, of events. And then once I've got that, I break it down very roughly into segments. And then that is the start of the book. I then have to fill in all the pieces. How long would it take you to write something of 500 or so pages? Well, I've finished three books now because the third one is just finished. And each one has been very different. I mean, the first book, any novelist will tell you, as you well know as well, Paul, being a novelist yourself, that the first book is a different kettle of fish altogether because there is no pressure other than the pressure you put on yourself. So you might pick it up when you feel like it and not, you know, then leave it for a couple of weeks or you then might have a really intensive patch. So the first one, I have no idea on the timeline. A couple of years, but a lot of that time wasn't being looked at. The second book, start to finish, was eight months. And this third book has taken me ages, <laughs> ages. But that's because it's the last one in a trilogy, and that's a, a, a mammoth task to complete. And did you conceive as a trilogy from day one? Did you know what the rough arc was? I did, actually. Yeah, yeah. I had, I'd, I made the decision, book one was a journey into the light, book two a journey into the shadow, and book three was when the shadow and light collided. So I had a really rough idea of how I wanted to do it, and then... I think I must like to bite off more than I can chew. <laughs> I decided, right, as well as that, I want book one to begin at the very beginning of civilization, the birth of humanity, and I want book three to finish on the potential of the end of it all. Oh, wow. I mean, you've, you've really uh, drawn a, a <laughs> massive canvas, haven't you, here? And, yeah. and I look, the titles, too. Uh, when I was reading out the introduction to you, you know, we've, we've, we've mentioned uh, sculpture and theology and philosophy, and then we've got titles like Before the Gods, we've got Tumultus, which you've explained to me before we, we started recording, is Latin, and then we've got the, the final story, Time. This is massive in scope, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but that really excites me, because that's the beauty of what writing is about. Uh, you can create, the world is your oyster, and the more you can evoke, you're putting a, a world to other people to walk into. And I, I'm not phased by bigness of things. I'm intrigued by the psychology of human, the potential of why and how we're here. I, I'm very interested in those things. So, you know, I decided let's just go for the biggie. <laughs> Yeah. Let's not bother well, with a warm-up. 
<laughs> Why not? You know, I think the first book is actually the most interesting journey because it, it, you start the journey having little idea of whether you'll actually make it to the end of, of the journey. And when you've done it once, when you know you can do it once, you, you now know, having written nearly 500 pages for the first book, you know you've just got to what I call rinse and repeat. You've just got to do it again and, and you've got another book. Would you agree with that? It's, it's oh, easier than the later times? Absolutely not. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely not. Because, see, I firmly believe everybody has one good book in them. I firmly believe that. If they had the time and the tenacity to sit down and write it, everybody has got a good book in them. But two books, that's when, because to sit on a really good idea and eventually generate it, you know, that you can sit and harbour that for many years. But to then turn around and go, now I'm going to do that again, but I'm actually going to make it better than the last one. How can I make it even better? I think that's when somebody turns from a writer into an author. Because once you've got two books behind you, you've proven that it's not just about that one that was harboring within your inner core for so long. Then actually, no, you can turn your hand to it again. That's interesting. So you think the second one then is the most important? I think the second one turns a writer into an author. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I, I, yes, I get that because, as you say, you might be just a one-trick pony with the first one, and, and then with the second one, you've shown that you can actually move on from that and and create art almost. Well, it's almost to order then, isn't it, rather than just from this divine inspiration? Yeah, exactly. I and and I think that once you've got the second one down, then it becomes quite a bit easier because you know that it's not just a one-off fluke and that you've put everything into this one book but then there are no there's nothing else there you've you you've used up the momentum or the creativity or whatever it is that actually you can sit down and you can conjure that at at will and do it all over again Mm, i'm going to reconsider my policy on that (laughs) And, and, and and so now you're at number three and I mean, you know, these these are real hefty books. So you've been on a heck of a journey, a heck of a writing journey. How do you feel at the end of number three that you could do it forever, or have you had enough? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Number three was for me the scariest journey of writing because I was covering such a huge topic in the books. On one on one side, the books are just a good action fantasy. But then I wanted to write all these threads of thought-provoking ideas into the books. And so I couldn't finish the trilogy with it just being some normal ending that I've seen a million times in films. And all the way through writing book three, I just thought, I know I'm going to pull this off. I just don't know how. I have to trust that my characters are all going to align at the right time. And then when they did, in the last two chapters, I didn't stop writing. I barely came up for air. I, my fingers were sore. I wore out a keyboard. And when I stopped, <laughs> I just was like, Eureka, that's it. It's a, it's a beautiful feeling when it comes together, isn't it? Oh, I, nothing beats it. I mean, I've said to people that writing really is like the beauty and beast of creativity. And nothing... The beast is it can't be satiated apart from writing itself. And that writing then produces the most beautiful feeling. And you can give that feeling to other people because they can then read the world that you're creating. 
Are you um, a quota person when you sit down to write? Do you make yourself sit there until you've done 2,000 words, or are you more freeform than that? I think I'm a bit more freeform, but I've had to become more disciplined. Book one, I was definitely very freeform. Um, when I start a new book, I find it a bit more not quite so easy to get into. So I've got a few little tricks that I do. One of the things, and I would recommend any author get this if they find the new book judders happens to them. I bought an hourglass, an old-fashioned, big Victorian old hourglass. Mm-hmm. And I sit it next to my writing machine and I go, right, that's it. I'm going to turn it over and I'm going to make myself write for an hour. And then if if it's too noisy, I'll put on headphones, either silencers, headphones, or play some music. And by the time I'm midway through a book, it's impossible for anybody to pull me out of it. It's, I, I, I try now to set a, a good day or two a week, and I designate those as writing days. So I, and I don't have as much issue getting into it now as I did maybe when I started writing. I find it easier to pick it up. I think that's a good tip. You you, you literally force yourself into it to, to to start the typing, and then and then it comes, doesn't it? I think yeah. you're right with that. I think all authors have to do that because I think otherwise that could be the start of writer's block. Because if you think if you start over processing things then it's not allowing the creativity to flow. I think if you can just sit down and even if you don't feel like it and you only do 10 words in the entire day, it stopped that part of your brain from stagnating. Now, you mentioned a little earlier on that you had agent interest, traditional interest in these books. Could you talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, my path to self-publishing was... It, it was, right, well, how do I start off? Firstly, uh, by the time I've got four chapters and I think, oh, you know, maybe I could be a writer, I've actually really enjoyed doing this, I totter down to Waterstones and I buy this huge book called The Writers and Artists Handbook. <laughs> There's one on my shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, you yes. know, they're like <laughs> ten bricks big. And yes. for anybody who's not got one who's an author, these are like telephone directories for the publishing industry. They're split down in sections with agents or publishers or editors or book cover designers. And I went through the agent bit and I circled a few that, that did uh, fantasy and, and science fiction. And I thought, right, I'll, I'll send it out to somebody. And at that point, I read that the agents only liked you to send out your submissions to one agent at a time. They don't like it if you suddenly flood all agencies with your manuscript. Which, so, being a very good girl, at first I just sent out one manuscript to one agent, and I sat and waited, and I waited, and all authors will know this, and then I waited. And then after six weeks of looking at my post box every time the postman's delivered, my manuscript plops through the door. The agent hasn't even opened it. They've oh, just, man. it's still in the envelope, in a, in a thingy. So I would say to any author, you know, if you get things back and it's not been opened or anything, do not get disheartened. That just seems to be the way they are. So I thought, right, I'm going to send it out to four at a time, four agents. Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to walk a little bit on the wild side. And of those four agents, I actually had a phone call from one 
and she really liked it and she said to me okay uh, uh, is it finished and my head says no but I've got the synopsis but my mouth goes yes sort of <laughs> so I, uh, I she said well send me the finished novel and I said well can you give me a couple of months because I need to tidy it up and then I gave myself a two-month timeline to finish it now she decided to take me on and uh, over a, a, a period of time had very good news but had two publishing companies interested wow that's exciting yeah and an auction was going to be set which i had no idea what an auction was but apparently if you have more than one publishing company interested they set a date and a time and your agent sits in the office on the phone and they but they both phone in and bid up for your book so, that's exciting i know so to me this was like the most tremendous thing in the entire world i've been waiting for this point uh cut a long story short over the space of about eight months there was one disaster after another the small company publishing company pulled out saying they couldn't compete with the biggie the big publishing company the lady my agent was dealing with um, got rushed into hospital the morning that that the deal was supposed to happen so there was a whole run of events and a great deal of time passed and I, I started to feel a little bit at the beck and call of of events of having no control over my own destiny and like for any little nugget that happened I was supposed to have this eternal gratitude most publishing companies are not very nice to new authors, I have to say. You know, I'm, I think that with the changing landscape in publishing, that publishing companies and agents are getting a bit nicer to new authors, but they, they treat, you know, authors feel like they have to be very grateful, but, you know, we're doing the hard work as well as them. So there has to be a bit of respect on both sides. Anyway. Okay. You, I, I can just tell listening to you, you are you're an indie author if you were like a stick of rock you'd have indie author through you because you're you're you're, you're bullshy about it and I, I feel that way too you know bullshy about people being rude and dismissive yeah. and things like that yeah. yeah well this this was like with the with the agent thing it's like if somebody has a new author has sent out their manuscript then the agent could at least open it you know, not just send it back after six long weeks after telling all authors that they don't want they don't want you to send it to anybody else, yet they're not even mm. going to look at it. You know, yeah. so manners, there's, there's nice manners. And that's the wonderful thing of self-publishing, because one day I decided that's it, I'm going to do this for myself, is that I can work to the principles that I value. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good for you on that. I know I teach I teach people how to get books self-published, do the practical stuff, and so many people are there waiting for permission. And I just say, you know, take it. If if you write a great book, they'll come to you. Yeah, um, They're not going to watch a roaring success and not come to you. So, you know, give yourself permission. Yeah, and and, and just do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is. We, we are living in a time now of a changing landscape for for books and I consider myself very lucky to be in this timescape because 
for so many years, authors were at the beck and call and feeling desperate to get any sort of recognition from an agent or a publisher. And yet, I mean, I will say, this is a question mark, I'm not saying it's my opinion. Were publishers just churning out a generic average? You know, because the, there seems to be a set way of doing things. And, and even terminology like, oh, you publishing houses have slush piles. You know, that's just horrible for authors to hear things like that. But we're living in an age now where we have choice of how we want to take it forward. And if you've got the noggin to write a book and get it edited, then you have the power to actually get it out there. How did you do that then? How did you get from presumably what a Microsoft Word document or whatever you write in, how did you turn that into a book? Um, I kind of see it in three steps. The first one, I call it book production, I suppose, and editing, tons of editing, as you probably well know, Paul, and then editing again. And once you've edited till you're blue in the face, mm. you get an editor. <laughs> <laughs> and then once the editor has worked on it with you, then proofreading, you know, you do need a proofreader. So once then you've got your finished novel, so to speak, then you need all the what's called front and back matter, or some people call it post limbs and pre limbs, um, which are the bits that go before and after the novel. You get that done, have that checked over as well, and then it's typesetting, which if you're just doing ebooks, typesetting is not so much of an issue, but with print production, obviously something has to be typeset, and it's not done in Word. Word is not a typesetting tool. Um, and you can either get an external typesetter to typeset your book, or if it's in your skill set, do it yourself. And then with typesetting, cover design, sorting out things like ISBN numbers, having a look at printing materials, paper quality, and that's before even you've got something actually physically in your hands. Once you've got it physically in your hands, then you have to look at the availability of the book, registering, making sure Nielsen has got all your book data. Uh, are you going to convert to ebooks? Um, are you going to use distributors? Which ideally everybody wants to use distributors, but when you're starting off, it's not so easy to get distributors. But once you've started getting some book sales, distributors will come to you. And um, libraries as well. So once you've decided on your availability, then that's the final hat, which is the marketing hat. Most people would go through Ingram Spark probably to, to follow the course that you have. Did you go about it uh, without Ingram Spark? Did you do it yourself? Yes, but I do have, um, I have a fabulous editor. Uh, I mean, his worth his weight in gold. Thank you, Jeremy, um, which is his name. Uh, I, because I wanted to actually set up a publishing company, I wanted to learn everything about the process. I didn't want to go external unless I felt that it was something that was, could be done better externally. I'm not against going externally at all. In fact, I embrace it. But I think anybody who 
either self-publishes or decides to set up a small press knows that you're battling against you know things either take time or they take money so you have to look at your own skill set and decide if and what you can do I was quite lucky because um, I mean I, I definitely knew I needed uh, edit an editor and a proofreader and I think that even if you can do those yourself having an external one is highly valuable because it's amazing what they spot that you have not spotted even though you've looked at something a thousand times mm. and uh, I did get the first two books typeset externally as well even though it was something within my field uh, it, it was a confidence thing because I was taking on so much in a new field I, I, start, I filtered out some of the things but brought in independent external companies like for typesetting just it was Hewer text which they just do typesetting and nothing else um, so it was about knowing what my own strengths and weaknesses were and working with them to the best of my ability and I think any even if you're not setting up a small press which is a big undertaking if you're self-publishing you still go through those processes and I think that authors now are in a fabulous situation where there are companies out there that will take on all of it from start to finish if you want or they'll tailor make the bits you want so you could do some of it yourself and they'll look after the bits you don't want to so you don't have to go down that route if you don't want to but I would advise anybody who wants to self-publish that having knowledge of all those areas is going to be incredibly good for them because if they want a paperback then it's very good for them and for the future sales of their book if they know the quality of the paper or or the type of finish they're going on the cover so every piece of knowledge becomes incredibly valuable and also liberating because then you can make the choice who you want to work with or not. So you set up Ruby Blaze Publishing, yes. which is an independent publisher. Does that mean you publish or you will publish other people's works as well? Yes. Yeah. Um, I've only really opened up for publishing other people's work in the last year. I think at first I needed to learn so much that I didn't make it too much public knowledge. And even now as it is, I, I think I would only stick to the fields that I knew well enough, which was science fiction, fantasy, uh, speculative fiction, probably horror as well, the more genre fiction, because I wouldn't want to do anybody a disservice by not knowing the field well enough. Um, so, yes, um, although I try... I will always try not to let that overtake because I am predominantly a creative person. But if I can help other people get books out there and I love those books, then absolutely why not? I do need to have a word with you, Kate, because your first book was nearly 500 pages. And then rather than just self-publishing on CreateSpace like everybody else does, you set up a publishing company. Um, you're a bit of a gut punishment, aren't you? I mean, that's a lot of work in all of that, isn't yeah. it? There is. 
there are some things that I don't take on because I know I can't, I couldn't do them. I only try and take on what I believe I could do. But glutton for punishment, probably that. (laughs) (laughs) But I bet you've learned a lot, haven't you? I mean, you're talking about things, you know, typesetting, very, very very interesting, and and paperweights and things like that. All of it's a real. You don't know that you need to know about any of this when you start. No, absolutely, and I love. I love having that knowledge. I think on my epitaph, it will say she just wanted to understand as much as possible. So everything that I can take in, it's, it is really worth the information and it really affects the finished product. Yes, it is. It has and is still a huge learning curve and there is still loads that I don't know extremely well or even well at all. But I'm I'm prepared to go down that path. Now you, you've had to, there are a few things I want to ask you about because I always do a little bit of stalking before I talk to people. I look at <laughs> you online and check out your Amazon reviews and things like that because there are all sorts of nuggets hiding there in there. Oh yes. <laughs> tell, tell me what you've managed to dig up, Paul. <laughs> well, no, nothing, nothing embarrassing. It's good stuff. Um, I, I've, you've got reviews from Book Time magazine. You've got Fantasy Book Review and Sci-Fi Now magazine. And whenever I, whenever I talk to a new author, there's all, they're always doing something that I haven't spotted before. And I think, right, how did you do that? How did you get those reviews then? So can, can you talk us through that? How did you get those magazine reviews? I think whether you get reviews or not really comes down to often chance at the end of it. I'll go into it a bit more in a minute. But, but there are things you can do to help the potential of actually getting a review. One is to have a nice quality finished product, first and foremost, and that's where all things like cover design, um, nice quality paper, I mean, to have something that actually people look at and they think, oh, that actually might be all right. And then with magazines, like as in paper magazines and newspapers, know their timelines because most magazines are being worked on three or four months before the actual date for publication so let's say somebody's got a book out next month it's too late to get reviews in those magazines so the first thing is get get your product to them before they actually need it because they've got to read it and then get it to done in time so you need quite a few months beforehand, and again, this is a, a, a big learning curve. Some, some, some magazines work like five, six months ahead, and they've still got to write the novel, read the novel, sorry. And then with that, I would say, again, know your strengths. Either send out a, a pre-release information sheet. Send them as much lovely information as you can. That, that's it. Just... Just send them lots of interesting information. Whether If you can do a press pack, absolutely fantastic. I think press packs are wonderful things. And make sure you get the books out to these magazines. I tended to pick magazines, A, that I was aware of and knew their readership. Obviously, there's no point sending anything to a magazine if they don't review books. So that's, that's like kind of mm. first thing to review, do their review books. And, and 
anybody who said stuff to magazines will tell you this. It's virtually impossible to find the addresses or the relevant people to send them to. So then you actually have to do your homework about, okay, I want to send it here, but I have no idea where I'm sending it to. And then once, once you've sent them all your wonderful information and your amazing book, it is absolutely just if it catches someone's attention. I heard a really interesting piece of information last week that one of the newspapers who does approximately 20 reviews a week, uh, a day, gets 200 books a day. Wow. So your odds are, are slim and, and so you need a good product that, that sounds really black and white calling it a product, doesn't it? The content of your book, you've worked on it, you know your novel is a cracking novel. And when you send stuff to a magazine, you have to do it in a, a, a manner and actually present it in a way that they, it's, it's either going to stand out or it's a fabulous quality, you know, just whatever it takes. I think having a creative background uh, has helped with me for that because uh, the, the art form or, or press material is something which I really enjoy doing because I like making it look beautiful. I think that helped. Interestingly, I found one of your books on uh, eBay. Uh, did you put that there? Is that just got there? <laughs> well, I have no idea how my books get on eBay. <laughs> if they're if they're brand new books, I would imagine it's uh, independent online bookshops, which some of them do sell on eBay as well. If they're second hand, then oh, I have in the past seen second-hand books on eBay which have come from library stock so it says you know they have the library stamps in the front but no I've never put any on eBay myself not because I don't want to but just because I haven't gotten around to it but I quite like the fact there's some of my books on eBay yeah, it's nice you're the first person I've discovered on eBay <laughs> so congr congratulations Thank you. I don't know <laughs> if I should be happy about it or not <laughs> Well, no, it's good because, I mean, eBay is a massive marketplace. So that, this is why I was asking you, um, because um, what, what happened a few years ago is it killed a lot of digital marketers because eBay stopped allowing digital sales. Um, but they do obviously still allow physical book sales. Yeah. So actually, it's a great place for authors to sell if you've got physical books. There's absolutely no reason why not. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm at a stage now, very luckily, where I'm, I do work with two distributors, Bertrams and gardeners but if I didn't have that goodness me I'd be listing them on eBay myself all the time it's it's another portal of getting your book out there it doesn't matter where it sells does it we just need to get it to an audience well, exactly because then it will just keep you know exponentially growing itself uh, another thing I want to ask you about is before the gods is available in hardback um and I always ask people about hardbacks. I want to know if it's worth doing, because it certainly looks beautiful. But is it worth it in terms of sales now? Well, I think you've just answered me with your question. It looks beautiful. It's, it's an expensive luxury, but it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. You know, I would say that in terms of sales, black and white, no, not worth doing. Hardback sales are absolutely minimal even libraries and they don't really buy in hardbacks they're more likely to take paperbacks you get a few people that are hardback collectors and they'll want a hardback 
but the cost of printing hardbacks is incredibly high. Um, if you're doing a small print run, then the only way really to do it is to have a few hardbacks done at the same time because the printing firm will actually buy, take the same inners and just bind them differently. But still, just because of it being a more complex process, paperbacks, uh, hardbacks are incredibly expensive. I haven't found a lot of demand for them. I'm sure if somebody is selling a zillion books, then they probably would have enough of a demand. But my paperbacks have sold very well, and hardbacks just a few. But they're beautiful. It's lovely to have on your shelf, I bet. Yes. Yeah, they, they are sort of your closet stuff, really. <laughs> one of the things I found, um, because I had played around a little with Ingram Spark, and one of the things that, that immediately uh, struck me and distressed me was the, the level of discount that you have to provide uh, on Ingram Spark, 55%, and then you have to do sale or return. Now, as, a, as an entrepreneur, which is what we are as independent authors, you could lose the shirt off your back doing sale or return and 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 i just i didn't do it i wonder how that works for you as a as an independent publisher are you caught up in all of that too definitely and i would say to people just do it just do it because you're an author as well and it's about getting your book out there and it is the same no matter how you tackle it i mean i'm sure facts and nobody minds me talking absolute facts and figures you get i think what do Amazon take? Is it 60%? Uh, well, you, you get 70% of the profits on Amazon, yeah. Uh, so. Is it 60% of paperback and hardbacks? Oh, um, uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I do it's, it through. it's higher for e-books, but, but lower. Um, and the same with your likes of Waterstones. And, you know, they can do it sale or return as well. And with gardeners who supply Waterstones and Bertrams, one of them is 55% and one's 57.5%. So you're pretty much talking those financial odds kind of wherever you go. And they all work sale or return. Um, I mean, I, I haven't, I'm very lucky I've not had many returns. Um, I had one because there was a tiny crease on the cover. But if you want to do physical books, then that is just part and parcel of what you're working with. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fair enough, isn't it? A crease on the book. I think, I, I guess what the fear is, is that somebody's going to buy a thousand, find they don't sell, return them, and they get pulped. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's the fear. They generally don't buy huge quantities at any one time. You, because, say, Waterstones, each Waterstones shop, the buying power is governed by the Waterstones manager of that shop. There's not one central place. So when Waterstones order a book, it's each shop orders a book, and they'll never order more than a couple at a time because they have a finite amount of shelf space and they don't want it all taken up with one. And it's it, the, the distributors work pretty much like that as well. If a book is selling well, then they might order 40 from you at a time but they, it certainly wouldn't go massive. It's in proportion to how many you're selling. And the same with Amazon as well, you know, as you probably found out. They only take in a couple at a time. They generally don't have, unless your book is going hell for leather, they generally won't keep any more than a couple on the shelf at any one time. Yes, that's that's true, yeah. Um, 
something else I need to probe before we finish is the fact that you've got reviews on places that I hadn't heard of before, the bookbag.co.uk and fantasybookreview.co.uk. This kind of feeds into what we were saying about magazines earlier. How, how did you find these? How did you target them? Well, Bookbag I already knew of because I used to go and read their reviews and I have a bit of a soft place for Bookbag because they were my first ever review in the entire world. Oh, that's nice. So, um, but because I actually knew of the site, it was just a direct email to them explaining that what I was doing and would they be interested. And when I got my first review, it was really a dance moment. And fantasy book review, I mean, if you like fantasy or science fiction books or speculative fiction, it is an absolutely fantastic independent review site. It has got a huge array of books. And again, I just contacted the organiser. It was actually set up by one chap on its own, and it's grown into this huge thing. And I just contacted them and asked nicely. And that, I was, yeah, I got a review. And I I do believe, I don't want to preempt this, but the Fantasy Book Review have asked if they can review book three. So I'm very happy with that. That's brilliant. Every every author I talk to always has something unique that they're doing to market their books. You could learn something from every single author. What what is, is this your general promotion strategy? You, you you seem to be really big on the kind of reviews that you've got. That seems to have really worked well for you. Um, I think it's working with my strengths. There are some areas which I am totally rubbish at. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm rubbish at Facebook. In fact, I'm so rubbish at Facebook. I actually removed my Facebook account. I do not have a Facebook. <laughs> In shame, was it? Yes. Yeah. Well, so it's about working to your strengths. And because I am visual and I enjoy doing posters or press packs and things like that. But I know that for this time I have to up my ante a little bit. And I can be, I know we're talking 19 to the dozen, but I, I'm very shy. When I'm in an unknown scenario, so I've shied away from book signings, but I've done one now, and I have told myself that this year I will do some more things like that. So I think that for anybody, it's working to their strengths. And if you're not doing something, don't beat yourself around the bush that you're not doing that. Just take your strengths and work with those. And as you get comfortable with those, try and take on new things. Have you thought of teaching, Kate? Because I, I think you've got a lot of really good experience here that would work very well in workshops. <laughs> I'd be one of those awful teachers that got, like, things thrown at them. <laughs> really? Well, I think you should have more confidence. You've, well, you've got a lot to share here. You've, you've got loads of great knowledge you know, with the typesetting because you've done it so hands-on. Yeah, I mean, I'm... If anybody ever wants to cue me, like you, we're talking about self-publishing, I'm really happy to talk about it. If, if my knowledge can help other creative people get their books published, I'm really happy to share it. Because this is the, the wonder of the industry we're working in at the moment. We're, we're in that transition time, which is giving authors power and and they have the choice of taking it all forward and if I've got a knowledge base that will help that I mean I love typesetting cover art design I have an absolute fascination out with editing 
and everybody must have an editor. So yeah, if 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 I can help in any way, I certainly would. I think that would boost your confidence. What you were saying about being reticent doing book signings, teaching is often a lot easier because you're just saying you're just telling people how to do something. So I, I think you get a lot of big confidence boost out of that. And you've clearly got a lot of knowledge that you could share. Thank you, Paul. That's a very kind thing to say. That's already knocked my confidence up a couple of notches. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we aim to please on this podcast. <laughs> now, I, I need to I need to finish off now by asking you what your, your your plans are now because you've just you've just told us that that the final book is is written. You've done the the big work on it. Yeah, it's actually finished, completed, typeset. It's called uh-huh. Time: The Immortal Divide. I would say it's my opus magnus. It has an ending of all endings. Um, uh, that is now actually it'd be going off to the printers next week. So that this is a very exciting patch. I have got the synopsis already for book four, which is actually going to be young adult fantasy, and I've already got the outlines for books five and six. So ambitious. <laughs> no, no small biting off of things here. Um, I've I've got, I want, I've made the decision I want to make being an author my career. It's mm. the thing I feel incredibly passionate about. Uh, I, I, there are, I want to experiment with types of writing. I would love to, at some point in my career as an author, write a full novel as poetry, like Milton did something like Paradise Lost. You know, set yourself up for the big targets, why not? Blimey, I know. I, mean, I thought setting up a self-publishing company was, was was big enough. I would like to become more established, uh, more comfortable showing myself to the outside world because I think being an author is a very introspective thing and I think many authors uh, struggle in that patch from, from being introspective and writing a novel to being out with the outside world. So just really to develop my whole path and just keep growing. It's it's brilliant stuff. You you got to try teaching, Kate. Uh, uh, that's my that's my top tip for you because I think you'd be great at it um, and, and sharing that knowledge. Uh, congratulations on all the the wonderful achievements that you've had. Where, where can we find out more about you? Check you out online. Um, it can whether you want paperback, hardback, or digital. Obviously, Amazon for all of them. Waterstones. You know, do support your local bookshops as well. Even if your local bookshop hasn't got it, because they're all connected to the distributors, you can go and order it from there. Um, WH Smith's online. Uh, basically, the nice thing is, try anywhere. They should all have it. And if they don't, ask them for it, because we want it there. <laughs> it's cheeky, isn't it? <laughs> not at all, not at all. Congratulations on everything you've done. I know you're a bit nervous about doing this I interview. Really you've done a, nervous. Well, you've done a brilliant job. There's been so much information in there. You know, do it again, please. And thank you very much. No, thank you. You've been absolutely wonderful to talk to. And I think what you're doing with these podcasts is absolutely superb. You keep up the good work. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.